This is Kenya Alonso with Generation Justice, and I am here with Jennifer Cornish. Jennifer volunteers here at GJ. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes. uh, As you said, my name is Jennifer uh, Cornish, and I recently retired a few years ago from Central New Mexico Community College and now have the amazing ability to uh, spend my time doing the things that are important to me. So, And part of that is being here at Generation Justice. Thank you. Could you tell us the story of how you became involved in social justice work? Yes. Um, It was a very long time ago. I feel like starting with a long time ago and far away. Um, I was living in Los Angeles, and uh, my brother, uh, who was in college at the time, um, wanted me to be involved in a group of youth who were having cross-racial conversations. This was right after the Watts riots in Los Angeles in 1965. And so I became part of a group of, of young white um, high school kids who were having conversations with uh, young black high school kids who were from Compton and we were from further south in Los Angeles. So that really was the first time that I experienced a totally different milieus, different experience of interacting with with people who had just been through this really wrenching and difficult uh, experience. And so that started my activism. I then uh, volunteered in the mayoral candidacy um, of Tom Bradley, who was the first black mayoral candidate in Los Angeles. Wow. Thank you. Jennifer, could you tell us a bit of the history of the revolution in Chile? Yes, uh, that's it's a it's a complicated story. So I'm going to just do the the basic highlights. Uh, but my introduction to that whole situation um, in Chile really came um, after in 1973 when the uh, democratically elected government of Salvador Allende was overthrown by the military, and I came to understand that um, that the United States through activity through in the CIA had collaborated with the military to overthrow um, uh, this the the president of Chile and it was a violent um, overthrow so many people were killed and it, it was only then that I started to go backwards and understand sort of how that uh, his election came to be and how he was a socialist um, president and he was pushing things like land reform and um, and more resources towards uh, poor and indigenous communities in Chile and that ultimately he um, he was murdered in the presidential palace. So at that point, I decided that I wanted to understand that better. I majored in Latin American studies um, in college. And although I didn't graduate at that time, I took courses to help me figure it out because I'm a learner. I need to understand. So, uh, And then at that point, I heard that there was a program at UNM, um, University of New Mexico, that they did an, uh, this program, a study center in Quito, Ecuador. And so I said, I want to go to Quito so that I can figure out what's happening in Latin America because this was a time of great um, up, up, up 
well, a, a rebellion is really the best word to say, where the the the, the upper classes, which had always had control over government and resources, um, were being met with, um, you know, lower economic uh, communities who were really starting to understand that they could fight for their, uh, for their rights and for ac- better access to resources. So I did. That was in 1976. I'm sorry, 1975. And so UNM was mo- the way I got to go to Latin America. And there I met my first husband, who was a Chilean refugee living in, in Ecuador. And, and then that became my life, was standing in solidarity with the people who were resisting the military dictatorship in Chile. And I was deeply embedded in that sort of, um, that, sort of that community who was tr- fighting to support those people um, who were on the ground in Chile doing that work. So that lasted for some years. Um, and then I later on became um, involved in a, the civil war in El Salvador and traveled frequently to El Salvador to do support work for refugees um, who, uh, due to the war that was going on. Thank you, Jennifer. Now, could you help us understand why the movement in Chile was such a landmark for you and other activists in the U.S.? The, the exposure to understanding the levels of repression that a state in power can engage in was really fundamental for me. I, growing up in the United States, I didn't understand how state actors can, can act in violent ways to um, sustain and uphold the current power structures. Um, here in the United States, it's... Um, it's more invisible to us, but equally real. It's just that we don't see it. Um, we don't see battles on the street, or um, we don't hear of people being disappeared. So having such a powerful example of what the state is capable of doing to its population um, was a, an extremely powerful experience for me. And many of the people that I knew um, that came from Chile as political refugees to the United States had the majority of them had experienced um, arrest, incarceration, and extreme levels of torture. So their stories were what opened my eyes, I suppose you could say, but also gave me the basis for trying to understand why and how that happens. How does what you experience relate to what we're currently experiencing in the U.S. today? So I'd like to go to a little anecdote um, to help because it helps me understand. Um, about 1991 or so, um, the Kellogg Foundation um, sponsored a conversation between uh, the parties that were in conflict in Nicaragua. And um, I was asked to help translate. And so I attended the event, and it was um, an event where there were people who had been comandantes on the Sandinista side um, during the Civil War in Nicaragua. There were also people from the, the, uh, the right-wing government, and then there were also people from the private sector. And when I walked into the room and realized that the leadership of the Sandinistas, 
the, the, the representatives who were there had sat down with the government and private sector people and had these conversations like, oh, how are you doing? Last time I saw you was in university. How's your sister? What, you know, what's going on? And that the only person who was left out of the conversation was an indigenous guerrilla leader because he was not of the same class as the other people who were involved in the conflict. And even though there were profound philosophical and, and um, interest differences between the Sandinista leadership and the, the, you know, the pro-government um, uh, representatives, there still was this class, you know, they were able to see each other's interests more clearly because they had this common experience. And so I, the way I see that affects me now is that I really do understand that it is um, it is the racial inequities, the economic inequities, which um, create true deep division between people. And so that sort of has become the lens through which I understand the conflict now. And um, and the the other piece that I that I learned back then was how powerful misinformation campaigns can be. And so and that's totally what we're seeing now. So does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's a super like accurate comparison today. So thank you for that. You bet. What are some of the things that the solidarity movement you were a part of do to demonstrate solidarity? There's a level at which um, much of what um, I believe that solidarity means is that since we cannot experience the same things um, that people who are deeply embedded in in conflict and in um, difficult circumstances, we can't live those experiences. So it's important for us to understand our roles. And one of the roles that I really felt that I was able to fulfill, and many of my um, my compañeras, you know, other you know gringas, primarily other white women my age, um, what we could do was we could um, we could walk with or stand with, or in some some ways I feel like there were times that I used my white privilege um, to facilitate a situation. So for example, um, in El Salvador, this was during the war in the 80s, um, I would travel with union leaders who were trying to get to meetings. I would travel in their cars because I would provide a sense of protection um, for them. And so, you know, they were able to use my, you know, my gringaness <laughs> um, to help uh, safeguard um, their, you know, their travel. Um, so that those are some of the examples. But also, I think that um, it's one of the things that you learn is to uh, be with people, you know, just really be with them. And, um, and a, have a deep appreciation and love for people who are unlike you. And so that's one of the p- most powerful lessons, I think, for me. Oh, thank you so much. What advice would you give to your younger self with the wisdom that you have now? That's such a great question because hindsight is so awesome. <laughs> but um, I, I, I really do believe that um, 
I felt at the time that that my um, my activism and my sense of wanting to be of service in some way, I did believe at the time that it was a lifelong commitment. And um, I am so glad that I can look back. I mean, I'm not totally done with my life yet, but I'm so much closer uh, that um, I would tell myself, be patient, hang in there. This is for the long term. Um, make sure that you're paying attention to the things that are also important besides this the solidarity work. Make sure that you give your family what the, your family needs. I I have two children, and um, and make sure that you are doing those things which um, make you better at doing this work. So learning the things that you need to learn, um, under, deepening your understanding of the situation. And I think that there was at, there was some point where I started to realize that it was really important for me to understand my own white privilege and to understand that that was the sea that I swam in, that it had been invisible to me at the for so many years, and really to start to wrestle with that issue. So um, I would, at this point, if I could tell my younger self, I would ask myself to deal with that a little earlier. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I am where I am. Would you give youth today the same advice? Yes, although advice is a tricky thing, right? Because you can say something and they go, oh, yeah, well, that was you. That doesn't necessarily apply to me. Um, but I do tell myself, I do tell younger people, so you know, pace yourself, take it easy, be nice to yourself. Here, here's a peach <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. Um, so I do see it as part of my role to um, – to love and care for younger people uh, because we all need it. But I, I have the ability to um, now have more energy to do that than to give that to others. Thank you. What are the commonalities that exist among the other people who are involved in the Chilean solidarity movement? It's so interesting that you asked that question because I just came from a reunion of, uh, of some of the women that I worked with um, at that during that period in the late 70s and early 80s. And we reflected um, a lot on who we were then and who we are now. Um, and at that time, um, many of the people who were involved in the Chilean Solidarity Movement were uh, middle class, white um, educated uh, individuals who were either in college and had learned about it or um, or were uh, or had traveled to Latin America many people had traveled to Latin America so that was sort that was a commonality that we had um, and um, I think that that's not that's not uncommon in terms of um, of the movements that later came around El Salvador and Nicaragua and Guatemala and that kind of thing. But I think that we're much better now at um, at relating those struggles across borders and that there are people, um, indigenous people in Guatemala who can communicate with indigenous people in other parts of, of the Americas and that those bonds and that le those levels of solidarity have become really powerful. Well, 
I love that um, the question tied in with what you experienced recently. Um, thanks for sharing that. Now, education has been a part of your background. Why is it so important to you? I worked at Central New Mexico Community College for 25 years. And so, um, and much of that time, I was directly working with students. So I was an academic advisor for part of that time. And knowing people who would come in on their first day and be scared and not sure of, of what they were doing and is this is this going to be worth the effort and I don't even know how to do college and um, it, it, it often was a really scary experience. So watching so many of those people go through that experience and become you know, powerful people and and going on to support their families and and to feel like I have agency and power in this world, that was just the best. That was the best part of it. Um, but going back to my own experience, um, I did not finish college. Um, at, at, as a young person, I um, became a single mom and um, I had the great fortune of being able to go to a community college at that time. And the, in those days, community college in California were free. So I went to college. I got an associate degree in, in computer technology, and I never had to look for a job again. I mean, that became the basis for which I could guarantee security for my family. So... It was my own experience that I knew this matters, this counts, and it changes your ability to feel like you can support your family, take care of business, and move move forward in the world. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Just a reflection on um, my experience here at Generation Justice. Um, that uh, one of the things that I'm grateful that I um, that I learned over the years was um, the just how much I love working with young people and how much um, how much it's important to my own sense of well-being that I see the 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 power in the young women and young men that, that I'm meeting here because it gives me hope for the future, and that's important to me. It also gives me the opportunity to explore um, more deeply um, what, what I understand is, um, is my own white privilege and the ability to say, look, I am not the judge of whether I'm racist or not. You all are. And so that is something that I can seek to get feedback on because I, even though I'm just 65, um, I'm not done. I'm not done in this world. So I need, to, I need to make sure that I'm continuing to be a better person, to improve myself, to, um, to walk the talk. So this is a great place for me, and I cannot thank everybody here enough for that ability. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I just, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to interview you. And yeah, just thank you for being so open with your feelings and with your experiences. And I just want to say thank you for the work that you've done and the work that you're still doing. 
So thank you. Thank you. I love you guys. This was Kenya Alonso with Generation Justice.